Because the Word of God gives us what we need in, in all ways and in all things that pertain to life and godliness. So we've been called to live godly lives. The Word of God will show us how to do that. And then the Spirit of God in us will empower us to do that. So the Spirit of God has to be in you if you're going to live a godly life. And that, that is only possible through the work of Jesus to provide salvation for you. And then the Word of God has to be something that you're constantly living in, in pursuit of and in a deepening knowledge of. And then the Word of God is at work in your heart and your life when the Spirit of God is at work in your heart and your life. He's applying the Scripture to your life. So when it comes to something uh, like the topic for the weekend, which is dating, relationships, sex and sexuality, purity. We call this the purity conference or the purity retreat. Uh, it's kind of morphed into a bunch of different names. Uh, originally, it was called the Make War Weekend, which just kind of has a, a, a doodly sound to it. But for the ladies, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, uh, okay, war, yay. Um, you know, so it's kind of, but we got, we want the guys here because it's important. And because it is, it, it really is a battle that you have to fight for. To, to maintain purity in the areas that most people in your generation and uh, really my generation and the generation in between, because there's actually one between us, I think, um, are, are attacked from when it comes to this, uh, this idea of pursuing and fighting for purity is, uh, is, is rampant in our, in our generation or, or in our culture, and our society with pornography and, and kind of this free idea of how sex and sexuality should be experienced. And so what we want to do is we want to take the Word of God and say, what does Scripture say? Ask the question, what does Scripture say about how we should do relationships, particularly how we should do sexuality? So if you're here this weekend and you're not a Christian, you're not a believer, you're just here because someone invited you, or, or like right now you're sitting there going, oh, this is the weekend where we're talking about not having sex or whatever, then uh, yes is the answer to that. Um, but that's not the end of the answer. There's, there's going to be uh, explanation to that. But the first thing you need to know is that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, then none of this is going to really make sense like it needs to make sense. So the most important thing that we can do is understand uh, who God is and then what that means for us and then put our trust and our faith in, in Jesus. So once we do that, and if you're here and you're a believer, we want to understand what Scripture teaches us about how we're to live godly lives. It's really important. So Hebrews uh, 13, um, and we're going to read two verses, and these verses have to do with marriage and sexuality. So I, I don't think we can talk about sex and purity and sexuality the way we need to if we don't talk about marriage also. So we need to address marriage because God created and designed and intended for sex to be experienced a certain way. And so we're going to dive right in. This weekend we're going to talk a lot about, about relationships and purity because that's the emphasis and the theme of the weekend. So we're going to dive right in. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. And, uh, and we're going to be real careful that we honor the sacred nature of sex and sexuality that we don't make light of it or we don't make jokes about it that we guard the 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 sacred nature of that we're going to also speak very clearly you may hear words that kind of shock you for a minute you know we talk about pornography or something like that that may kind of make you go whoa whoa can we talk about this in church and and the answer is yes this is where we need to talk about it this is the context that we need to talk about it in because we need to understand the dangers that the enemy will set for us. And you need to know that there's an enemy who wants to rob you of, of your holiness. He wants to steal from you the joy that God wants to give you. And that includes in the area of sex and sexuality. The enemy wants to rob from you what God has given you. Okay, so Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. And we'll do verse 4 and 5. Okay, we'll do two verses tonight. Um, Let marriage be held in 
honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Some of the most encouraging words in all of the Bible, the words where Jesus says, I won't leave you or forsake you. Some of you uh, maybe already are in, a, are in a pattern in your life, particularly we see this a lot with, with young ladies, where there's a longing for affection and attention. There's a longing to be loved. Maybe you don't have a, a, a dad who's giving you that. You don't have a stepdad who's giving you that. And so you want to feel the affection and the love of a man. And so you're willing to compromise physically. It's been said often and, 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 and over and over and over. It's been said that women will give sex to get love. And men will give the appearance of love to get sex. And I think there's definitely some truth to that. And some of you ladies here tonight, maybe the first and most important thing for you to hear all weekend is the last phrase of verse 5, that Jesus will not leave you or forsake you. And the love that he will give you is an enduring, endearing, eternal love. And so if you understand the love that Christ has for you, then you're going to understand that all other love is really not love. In fact, it pales in comparison to the love that Jesus has for you. Jesus loves you, and he has a purpose and a plan for you, and that involves relationship and marriage and sex and sexuality. And so we need to understand that Christ has an eternal love for us, and so any other love, any other relationship has to fit inside of that relationship. The relationship that we have with Christ defines who we are, and every other relationship has to fit inside of that. Okay, so let's just break these two verses down. We're just going to walk through them a line at a time. The first thing he says is, let marriage be held in honor among all. Now, what it means for marriage to be held in honor, there's a couple of words in the Bible that are kind of interchangeable. One is honor and one is glory. Have you ever heard those words? And we use those words a lot of times uh, to talk about things related to the military or patriotism, something like that. But when we think of God, we think of honor and glory being things that are due to the Lord. We give him honor. We give him glory when we worship him, for instance. So when we worship God, we're worshiping him because he's worthy of that worship and we're, we're recognizing him for who he is. So a lot of times when you're reading the Psalms, you'll see that, that the psalmist will say things like God is exalted among all names or among all nations or among all people. So we're to see God as he is and to glorify him and honor him and worship him. Now, there's a few things that come with honoring someone or something particularly there's a few things that come with honoring the lord and that is obedience so if we're going to honor god i have to be obedient to god if we're going to honor i can't honor the lord and be disobedient to him so to honor god i've got to be obedient so when we're saying in when we're reading this passage and it says let marriage be held in honor then what we're saying is how do i honor the lord with marriage well then he goes on and, and he says let, let the marriage bed be undefiled. So I want to honor the Lord in my view of marriage, my relationship of marriage, and then every relationship that leads up to that. I want to honor the Lord. Now, to understand how this works, we've got to go back to Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, God creates the first man, and his name is Adam. You guys have probably heard about that guy. And so Adam was the first guy that God created. God creates this guy, but this guy's all by himself. And it's just Adam and a bunch of animals. And Single people that live with a lot of animals always end up weird. Okay, so, so Adam's living with the animals, and it's like Adam is turning into cat boy or goat man or whatever. And so God looks at this situation, and he says, it's not good for him to be alone. 
It's not, listen, ladies, it's not good for a dude to be alone for long, okay? It's a bad thing. And so I was having a conversation with a young man today, and I was like, you know what? You want to get married? That's cool, because God's the one that said it's not good for man to be alone. God designed this. So God looks at Adam, and he says, I like you. I love you. You're awesome, but you need a woman in your life. This is going to be good for you. And so God creates a woman, and her name is Eve. Now, here's what God does to create Eve. This is a fantastic story. God takes Adam, makes him fall asleep. You can read about this in Genesis chapter 2. Adam falls asleep. God puts this deep sleep over him. Now, you got to be sleeping deep, like hard. You know how people say sleep like a baby, which is sometimes not a good thing because I had a two-year-old in my house last night screaming for about an hour. So uh, they freak out when they poop their pants and you tell them to go back to sleep. I don't know. But anyway, so... (laughs) I'm too old to have a two-year-old. We started over, my wife and I. So anyway, so God puts Adam to sleep, lays him down. He's asleep. Okay, now, when he's sleeping, God comes and God does something really, really interesting. Do you know what it is? Some of you know. God opens his side up and he takes out a rib. Okay, and he takes that rib and he forms with that rib and some other natural ingredients, he forms a woman, okay? Now, it's, it's symbolic what's happening there. And here's, here, here's what the Bible says. Then God closed the flesh up in its place. So God literally breaks Adam's flesh open. He breaks his body open, and he takes a rib out. Now, I've often heard that the first shedding of blood that ever happened, if you're a church kid and you grew up going to church, you've been in church your whole life, then you may have heard this, that the first time blood was ever shed was when the animals were killed to cover Adam's and Eve's nakedness. You ever hear that? It's not true. Now, I don't think anybody was lying to you because I've said that and preached it for a long, long time. And just a few months ago, I'm reading this and I was like, Genesis 2, there's the first shedding of blood. Isn't that interesting? God, listen, get this. The first marriage is forged in the man's body being broken for the the woman, his bride. What's that make you think of? Jesus. Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus came to take a bride for himself. That's us. That's the church. And that his body was broken for his bride. Jesus bled for his bride. So here's a really, really, really powerful picture where Adam sat. Now, listen, I want you to think, ladies. Now, so, some of you girls have had several boyfriends, and along the way, you've, some of you are like in this perpetual cycle of boyfriending, okay? So we're going to try to break that this weekend. But I want you to imagine a man that loved you so much that, that no, okay, just let's with, go with me now. Come with me now. Okay, all right, so go here with me, all right? Um, imagine that a young man walks up to you and he says, I want to pledge my love to you, which, I mean, nobody says that. But let's imagine we're in, like, medieval France, okay, apparently. Um, or a Barbie movie. I don't know. But let's, let's, say that, let's say this guy walks up to you and he says, you know, I'm in love with you, whatever. Whatever, you know, makes you feel romantic or whatever. So this guy wants to be your, your man and he wants to, but he really wants to do it right. And he says, I don't, I don't want to just tell you I love you so you'll give me what I want. Because, by the way, ladies, we'll talk about that a lot this weekend. By the way, men, we'll talk about that a lot this weekend. When you're 16, 18, 19, and you're saying things like, we should have sex because we love each other, what you're saying is, I don't love you, give me what I want. When a young man will in any way apply pressure to you to do physically, sexually, sensually what God has designed and ordained to be preserved and reserved for the relationship of marriage, he doesn't love you. Because you're an object to 
to him. Okay? So, so I want you to imagine that a young man comes to you and he says, I want to do this God's way. I want to honor you and love you. Imagine that you said, okay, now I want you to go talk to my youth pastor. Okay, first off, and that's a good first step. Now, ideally, you've got a godly dad, and you say, okay, go talk to my dad. So that would be the, a good first step. People always say, because i got a couple older daughters. I've got, got a daughter that's y'all's age, high school age, and, and people say, man, what's going to happen when guys start coming around to date her? And I was like, well, first off, this is a small town. Guys aren't going to come around to date her. Um, <laughs> you live in a small town. Everybody knows everybody, and people are like, oh, your dad. So, and that's a good thing. I'm cool with that. Um, but people, but I want her to have an awesome godly relationship with an awesome godly dude that leads to an awesome godly marriage. That will involve, listen, sex. Yeah, I do. Because that's what God has designed to have happen in a godly marriage. I would give my last breath, however, to preserve her. For that day. My last breath. Because I know that what God intends for you all to experience in a godly relationship called marriage will be an honor and a blessing to him, to your spouse, to your future kids, and to everyone around you. Because godly marriage honors the Lord. It glorifies the Lord. It's literally an act of worship. Imagine that young man comes to you and he says, I need to talk to your dad and see if I can pursue you court you date you whatever terminology you want to use well, i don't have a dad okay well how about your youth pastor or your pastor something like that okay yeah that'll be great so then he goes and your pastor says yeah man listen here's the deal i got this pocket knife i need you to take a little nappy nap and uh while you're asleep and you can stay awake if you want to while you're asleep what i'm gonna do is right about the fourth and fifth short ribs over here i'm just gonna make an incision Right in there. I need to. I, what I need to do? I got to get in there. I got to get. I got to get one of your ribs. Now, the 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 slicing part is going to be painful, but the breaking part will be worse because I got to get that rib out of there, man. It's not going to be good. It's going to hurt. <laughs> uh, but the blade is kind of sharp and eh, kind of dull. Huh? So anyway, so I'll try to sharpen that blade a little bit better, and then and then. But then after I cut you open. I got, what all of the goodies I got here? Let's see. I brought this thing out tonight. This is great. Oh, look, a little saw, bone saw right there. There it is. Bingo. Okay, so after I get your side open, I get that little bone saw, and I'm going to, that's a short blade. That was going to make me sweat. I'm going to just be going little short back and forth. Can you imagine the sound of bone grinding under that saw? Oh, I got about halfway through it. That's good enough. I can just break it the rest of the way. And you're going, what? Pastor Bob, can we go home now? <laughs> this weekend's going to be about really psycho things, apparently. <laughs> but, I mean, picture this first marriage. This is what God does. He lays this man down. He opens his side and he removes a rib. That is the first shedding of blood. And here's the statement. I think, it's, I think there's two big things being said here in, in Genesis 2 when we think of how, how do we honor marriage as God has defined marriage. And the first thing is this. Marriage is a picture of Christ in the way that he loves us. The way a man pursues a woman should point that woman to a deeper relationship with Jesus. 
the way a man pursues a woman should point that woman to a deeper relationship with Jesus. And the way that that woman in turn guards herself and brings herself under good, biblical, godly accountability should also help that man understand, hey, there's a way to do this right, and she is a virtuous woman who loves the Lord. We're going to do this God's way. It's sacrificial love. And the second that the relationship says, what do I get in return? It's no longer a Christ-like love. Because you know what Christ gets out of the deal? Broken, bloody body and a bride who was dead before that. Who he has to revive. That's kind of a graphic picture. You might want to talk about that in share groups tonight. What does Christ get out of the deal? A bride who was broken, who was literally the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 2, we were dead in trespasses and sin. So Jesus takes us into this relationship with himself that is a picture of how marriage is supposed to be. Well, that goes all the way back to the first man. God opens his side. Listen, ladies, ask yourself this question. Have you been pursued by that kind of man? He says, take from me whatever you got to take from me. I will do everything in my power to honor, love, cherish, and guard this woman's physical, emotional, spiritual, sexual purity. And ladies, here's the crazy thing. Your generation has gotten this thing kind of messed up so that you are now in a position where oftentimes the girl is the pursuer. Well, this is crazy. This was crazy in my day. Back in the day when we used to walk uphill to school in the snow and all that stuff. You kind of expected as a dude to pursue the girl. And not anymore, man. It's like normal for girls to make themselves very available and to aggressively pursue young men. If you're one of those girls, listen, I got one thing I want to say to you tonight. Knock it off. Knock it off. And wait for God to prepare your heart to receive the love, the relationship, the courtship, the pursuit that he has for you. Just wait on the Lord. His gifts are so good. So God creates this first marriage, and here's what happens. Watch this. God says, there's God, and then there's the man that God creates. Then there's the woman, and God says to the man, provide and protect and lead her spiritually and do these things. And then there's creation. Creation. Because he says to both of them, have dominion over creation. Remember that verse? I'll never forget my son, uh, my oldest son, when he was probably, I don't know, he was probably seven, seven or eight years old. I think he was seven years old. And we were bear hunting. He kills this bear. And that night where we had cut meat and we're eating and we're sitting around the table. And I said, I said, all right, Tuck, you shot the bear. You pray. And he said, Lord, seven-year-old kid, you know, this is quite a few years ago. Lord, thank you that today we took dominion over this bear. And now we're going to eat him. You know what's crazy? God said, it goes God, man, woman, creation. And God said, have dominion over creation. But what's happened throughout history is people have worshipped the creation over the creator. The Bible talks about that in Romans 1. And so what happens is marriage is this thing where God says, here's the man, now here's the woman. From the flesh of the man being broken, I've brought the woman. Now the two of you are one together and now rule over creation. And everything's gone, completely inverted. It's like we worship the created thing. And oftentimes women manipulate and control to get what they want. And oftentimes men manipulate and control to get what they want. And you've got two people working against each other to get what they want out of the deal. Let marriage be honored. 
let marriage be honored. Let God be honored in marriage. You're going, I'm not married. What are you talking about? Right. So everything from now until then is preparing you in one way or the other to be a husband or a wife. Everything in a relationship with a man or woman, boy or girl, which at this point, if ladies, at this point, if a dude's like not living up to this, he's not a man, he's a boy. Then why do you want to be with a boy anyway? When God's man is out there. So here you've got this clear picture in Scripture of God creates the marriage, and in that marriage, he creates sex. I mean, it wasn't like God created Adam and created Eve and was like, oh, they look a little different. I was trying to make another one of him, and this is what happened. And it, you know, it's stupid. God wasn't confused. God made a woman to be a woman. He made a man to be a man. And he intended that they have sexual union. It was God's design. God wasn't scratching his head like, what are y'all doing? Is it some kind of wrestling game? Like, what, you know. But, but it's important to think about this because young people have bought into this idea that God wants to keep you from sex. God wants to keep you from the world's version of sex or Satan's view of sex. God wants to keep you from those things because those things are destructive. They have long-term repercussions. You're never going to meet any person that's here as a leader who shares this part of their testimony or, or any adult that you ever meet who's married. None of them will say, you know, the one thing I regretted on my wedding day was that I hadn't had more sexual partners up to that point. Nobody says that. But there are plenty of people that stand before God and man on their wedding day and go, man, I wish I would have just held sex and marriage and honor before the Lord. One of the things we'll talk about this weekend is the fact that if you've messed up, God will restore you. Boom. I mean, 100%. Because the blood of Jesus doesn't have limitations. It's like, if you ever if you remember being like a three or four-year-old kid and you're playing in the surf at the beach and you're like, this is great, this is great, until one big wave just hammers you, I mean, throttles you, like you drink half the Atlantic Ocean and you're like <laughs> barfing, puking, snot, crying, screaming, I'm dying. You remember that? And you're like, yeah. And it's also funny to watch that happen to a kid. <laughs> like that's the way God's grace and forgiveness and love need to pour over you where you're so overwhelmed by it. You can't, like, you know what? That kid laying on their back in the surf, that four-year-old who has just swallowed a pint of water and their eyes are burning and their, and their snot is spewing and they're about to barf. And that, that kid is not going, oh, you know what I want right now? A drink of water. <laughs> I think I'll have a drink of water. And they're not doing that. And if, but if you would get the overwhelming ocean of God's love pouring into you, pouring over you, you're receiving that. You're not going to be going, oh, you know what I want? Some 15-year-old boy to make out with me. Some 16-year-old girl to, to send me a picture of her breasts. You're not going to do that. Because when you drink deeply of the love of God in a relationship with God through Jesus, you will be satisfied with that above all other things. And then those other things will be held in honor. God's not keeping you from sex. He's saving you for sex on His terms. In God's terms... Two things happen. Number one, when we experience sexuality on God's terms, two things happen. One, God is glorified. And two, listen to this, we receive pleasure. We enjoy it. It's like, oh, can, can, can we say that? We, sex is good. It's a good thing. When God is first glorified and honored. 
I mean, the, the, the most intimate relationship is a relationship between a man and a woman who are pursuing each other in, in, in love that leads to marriage and commitment, commitment, commitment and love and commitment and that leads to commitment for all of your life and it leads to commitment. Yeah, come on, baby, I'll commit to you. Yeah, till like till what? Till prom? Right? The commitment says, if I gotta give a rib to be with you, I'll do it. Whatever it takes. You want to honor the Lord in your sexuality? Drink deeply from the love of Christ. And let that be the relationship that defines all other relationships. Let that be the relationship that defines all other relationships. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Among all. In this world, among all. When you've got the world around you trying to redefine what marriage is, it doesn't matter. What Scripture says is what matters. And marriage is, by God's design, something that takes place between a man and a woman intended to be a lifelong partnership till someone dies, till literally death do us part. No, you know, no one's ever thought. You ever notice how? You ever hang out with a couple that's like really physically into each other in front of other people? You know, like, oh my god, could you please stop? You ever hear somebody use the term "get a room"? You ever heard that? Okay, what are they saying? You need to go in private to do the activity that you're doing right now at the movie theater or at you know whatever. Like, this is, this is nasty, what you're doing. No one wants to see this right now. I don't, in fact, could you please stop right now? I, in fact, I have, as, as, as a pastor, I have often, not once, not twice, but on many occasions in public, walked up to two teenagers and said, you guys need to knock it off because you know why? He doesn't, he doesn't like you. He's just aroused sexually right now. And you have a deep, deep-seated need in your heart. And I'm going to tell you, this boy is going to rip at that need. The wound that your dad or whoever has caused you, he's just tearing at that wound right now. Boy, you should see people. And, and I, I, I did this recently to a couple 15-year-olds at the rec park in town. I said, young man, look at me. Do you plan on marrying her? Huh? Like, I don't, he didn't know what marriage is, I don't think. He's so confused. There's, there's, there's. Regardless of what the world defines for you, love, sex, marriage, happiness, it doesn't matter. Scripture has defined it. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Godly marriage is a beautiful picture for us to show the world what Christ's love looks like. Let it be held in honor among all. Let marriage be undefiled. What's that mean? Holy, man, guard it. What does holy mean? Here's what holy means. You've often heard maybe, you may have heard that holy means set apart. Like set apart, and that's part of it. It's definitely part of it. If something's set apart, it's holy. Like, so for instance, you might say this thing here is set apart to be used, um, like uh, to be used to, to preach the gospel from. So it's set apart. Like that would be one idea. So holy for a person. If a person's holy, they're set apart from the world to honor the Lord and everything. That would be holiness. But I think another really cool way to think of the word holy is to use the other word holy, which is W-H-O-L-L-Y. You know what I'm saying? 
to, to say someone is holy means that they are wholly devoted to God. Fully, completely. W-H-O-L-L-Y means fully or completely. You guys with me? Okay. So if you're holy in your affections and your desires and you're undefiled in your sexuality, H-O-L-Y, you're holy, it means you are fully, completely devoted to the Lord. So in your relationships, the first, I mean, really the thing that's so simple for us to at least start to wrap our mind around is relationships that honor the Lord on this earth are going to be relationships that are wholly set on and devoted to affection for the Lord. So a young man loves Jesus and as a result loves a young woman. A young woman loves Jesus and as a result Christ is the author of the love that she has for a young man. So the young man loves the woman because of his love for Jesus, not because his hormones are racing and, he, and he's just physically you know, like attracted or like he's just out of control sexually. It's like he's devoted to the Lord, okay? God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. That's important. It's important. There's consequence to action. There's consequence to action. Now, we said earlier that Christ will forgive you, redeem you, cleanse you, free you. Like a wave of the ocean, his love and forgiveness will sweep over you. If you've come in here this week, I don't care if you've been with 20, 30, 40 people sexually. God will, boom, cleanse you instantly. Free you from that. For, you know, we've all heard testimonies of God's grace in people's lives like that. But if you continue willingly and willfully to walk in a path where you define your own sexuality, you set your own parameters, you do what feels good and feels right, right here, right now, God will deal with that. And that's not a popular thing to preach because people want to hear today about it. God is love. Well, God is love. You know what? I'm a dad and I love my kids. And that little two-year-old joker I was telling you about, Moses, he is psycho. <laughs> crazy, man. That joker's crazy. I was, last night, man, I'm telling you, it's like 3.30 in the morning. And he's, I'm telling you, man, I'm, I'm, I'm past the, like I'm over having a baby, you know. I'm like, we had gotten our kids up and then we adopted these two little kids. A lot of y'all know our story, I think. My wife's little, the girl plays drums. And, and he's going, daddy, and they're African. So they got this funky accent thing going, you know, and he's like, daddy, daddy. And he's rocking the crib like this, man. It's like, boom, 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 boom. The whole, like, I'm like, he weighs like 28 pounds. It, the whole crib's going boom, boom, boom. Like, I don't remember this from the other, I don't, I know this probably happened. I'm just kind of over that stage of life, you know, and I'm like, what, dude, dude, what are you, what are you doing? Daddy. I'm like, I, well, my wife gets up and goes over there because I'm not functional at 3.30 in the morning. Like, when I go to sleep, you don't want me making any decisions that involve holding another human. I mean, somebody could get hurt bad, you know. So she's like, no, 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 I'll take care of it. Moms, right, you know, like, I got this. Just don't move. Oh, you're not. Okay, thank you. All right, so and she goes over. She gets this kid, and I kind of crack an eye like this. I'm like, and I can see his eyes, like they're just glowing. He's like, he's like, and then he goes and smacks her in the face. I was like, oh, heck no. I came out of the bed, boy. I'm like, I like, I mean, I think I, my vertical jump was about 40 inches, man. I landed both feet at that crib and he said, daddy, no, no, oh, heck no. Not right now. Right now. I'm not your daddy. I'm mama's husband. You messed up. 
nobody hits daddy's wife. Understand? Listen to me, son. You understand? Look at me. I'm your daddy. Who's your daddy? Daddy. No, right. Okay. And does daddy love you? Daddy. Okay. But no, right now you're not cute. Right now you're a little demon. And you smacked your mama, which means you smacked my wife, which means I'm going to burn that rear end up right now. Why? Because I love him. Because I love him. And I do not, the most hateful thing I could do as a daddy is let that child grow up and think it's okay to smack a woman. So in that moment, is dad love when he disciplines that child? Yes, absolutely. God is love. Yes. And the scripture is very clear. And he was for that. He will deal with our sin when we willfully and willingly and defiantly and disrespectfully say, I'll do with my body, whatever I want to do with my body. He'll say, no, 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 no. See, you're my child. And my, I, I, got, I got a guy named Paul, and he wrote a letter to some sex-crazed Christians called Corinthians one time. And you know what I told him to tell them? Your body is not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify Christ Jesus in your body. Is that activity, that action that you're engaging in going to glorify and honor the Lord? And if the answer to that is no, and you do it anyway, you might as well get ready. There are going to be the repercussions that come from a loving father who will discipline you and chasten you and punish you for that activity. That's not popular. I'm not here to be popular. I've never once in my life really been concerned with popularity. You ask my high school friends if you can find them. That one cracked me up. That's <laughs> uh, pretty good. <laughs> Let's wrap this up. Let's land it. Keep your life free from love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Keep, he says money. He uses money there. And, and anything that you lust after and long for. Here's the big idea there. Keep your life free from the longings and the desires of the things that this world says will make you happy. When it comes to sex, as we, as we kind of walk through this weekend and we look a lot at this this weekend, we talk a lot about this this weekend, here's what I want you guys to get, that the world's idea and view of this will, will bring heartache and sorrow, pain, like I can't describe, and some of you are already feeling. But God's plan for this, according to Scripture, will bring a joy, a satisfaction, it will advance the work of holiness that God's doing in your life. And it will be so satisfying. And here's what it comes down to. If you'll wait for God's good gift for you in this area, it will satisfy you. So you can, here's the way this works. You can do this on your terms now. And you'll experience physical pleasure right now for a season. And you will spend the bulk of your life. If you live to be 70, you'll spend 50 of those years. Dealing with the repercussions of just doing this your way. And there'll be a, a tension and a strain continually on your life and your marriage one day. You can do this God's way. You can repent if you need to repent. Or you can right now commit fresh and new to do this on God's terms. And one day in a godly marriage, as you honor and glorify the Lord, part of the honoring and glorifying of God and worship of God will come through the sex that you experience in that marriage. And literally it becomes an offering 
to the Lord that honors the Lord. That deep act of intimacy will bring God glory and honor. Something that could bring God glory and honor could so drastically in a different way bring shame and insult to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because sex is a picture of God's love for us somehow. If marriage is a picture of Christ's love for us, then the most intimate act physically between those two people is to point us to Christ. And there's nothing Satan would rather do than confuse you with that and lead you down a different path. And he'll do it if he can. He'll do it if he can. Love you guys. Let's pray. Lord, your word is so clear and we're so grateful for it. Definitely much clearer than I can be. And in my own stammering and and mumbling over words and trying to articulate, God, I pray that the Holy Spirit, that you would take the words of Scripture, no more, no less, the words of Scripture, those words that are lifted from the pages that we just looked at, and you would drive them deeply into the hearts and minds of these students and leaders and staff, that we would all receive your word tonight and respond to it graciously, gratefully, willingly, humbly. And I pray that we would begin to chart a course that honors you in our relationships. Lord, I pray for kids here tonight that have already taken steps down a path that is destructive. Lord, I believe no less than one in three of these kids are probably struggling with porn issue, if not two in three. Close to half of them have already dabbled in things that that are going to bring pain and destruction in their lives at some point. But they don't have to if this weekend they will surrender and submit fresh and anew to you. Give you their lives, give you their bodies, give you their futures. And pray that we would all have the courage to submit every part of our lives to you this weekend. Please bless now as we continue through our evening of of talk, fellowship, discussion, teaching, and then wreck time outside, that all that we do this evening would, would bring joy and honor to you, and that also we would enjoy ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.